You are now listening to the Northside Sox podcast. Today is Saturday, November 28th, 2020. I am Janice Gurrio coming to you live from my kitchen. And with me via Zoom is my co-host, the wonderful Sam Sherman. Sam, how the hell are you? I am full. I'm sleepy. I'm ready to burst at the seams here, but uh, I'm very happy to be uh to be podcasting with you here on this lovely Saturday morning. Likewise, partner. So with a strange and distant Thanksgiving in the books, what better way to digest our Zoom ingested meals than with a set of trade proposals? And because we reluctantly participate in a capitalist society, what is more traditionally American than a Black Friday sale? So in this post-Thanksgiving episode of Northside Sox, we abandoned the concept of being prospect huggers in the hopes of striking a deal. So in that case, uh, we were talking about a couple of Black Friday trade proposals. So essentially, there have been some uh, big name, uh, big names kind of on the market right now. Uh, So the Rays are apparently open to trading Blake Snell And so far, uh, the temperature from all of White Sox Twitter has been, yes, let's go ahead and get it done. Uh, But of course, too, uh, the White Sox have a pretty strong farm system built up. So uh, in that regard, uh, there has been a couple, a a lot of reluctance to potentially deal a lot of these young players, um, a handful of whom have uh, never uh, played any Major League Baseball yet. Uh, So in that regard, uh, especially around the trade deadline, uh, a lot of there was a lot of talk about potentially uh, dealing these prospects in order to get some pitching on the uh, request of Rick Renteria, who uh, really wanted some pitching to work with as uh, the team headed uh, towards the postseason. Uh, he did not get that help. Uh, yeah, so I do admit that initially I was a prospect hugger. Um, just mainly because uh, we've been conditioned to get really hyped, get really excited about this core group of really young guys. Uh, So one of them in particular, Andrew Vaughn, um, another one, uh, Dane Dunning, I I believe uh, came up in a lot of trade news, Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah. So in regards to Blake Snell, uh, so why are the Rays looking to deal Snell? So uh, everyone said it was to free up payroll. Uh, since everyone is crying poor <laughs> this off season, uh, that's a lie. I'm pretty sure the Rays have money. And of course, too, the Rays have a history of flipping headline players for prospects, the most recent being Chris Archer, uh, who gave uh, Tyler Glass now in return, as well as uh, Austin Meadows. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool, cool, awesome. Real bad yeah. trade. <laughs> It yeah. seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> All right. So Snell is 22% of race payroll, according to Spot Track. So uh, just kind of looking over here, uh, the Rays have a pretty, uh, pretty measly payroll. Uh, interestingly enough, Evan Longoria is still getting $2 million a year from a buyout. Uh, Evan Longoria currently plays for the San Francisco Giants. Uh <laughs> So his total salary is $18.5 million, which the Giants uh, ate most of, but uh, the Ray is still paying Evan Longoria $2 million, which I thought was pretty fascinating. I mean, who among us isn't still getting $2 million from the Rays in one way or the other, you know? 
Exactly. Exactly. All right. So my Black Friday deal, why not just acquire Blake Snell? Let's go ahead and get Blake Snell and Tyler Glass now from the Rays. So I love yeah, it. <laughs> This may be entirely crazy and probably not even feasible, seeing as how Glass now is headed into arbitration uh, and is set to get four million uh, projected from the Rays. But you know what? Like, you know, it's a we're in a pandemic. Uh, we just finished a, sh- a shortened season. Everything is hell. Everything is on fire. So why the hell not? Let us acquire Blake Snell and Tyler Glass now from the Rays. I'll tell you what, the average height of the team becomes, uh, the average height of the team and the starting rotation uh, goes up a couple ticks. Uh, Can't, you know, and I think um, a lot of White Sox Nation would really uh, enjoy Tyler Glass now and his just, just, he's just a gorgeous person, a really gorgeous man. Yeah, I wasn't going to get to the aesthetics just quite yet. Yes, he is perhaps um, one of few players I will actually uh, publicly simp for. <laughs> I am not can... alone in this. <laughs> I'm certainly not alone on this front. But besides just uh, bringing the team's uh, average attractiveness up a yeah. few points, that's definitely a strat. A, a strat. <laughs> that is definitely a stat tracked by fan graphs, by the way. Yes. Uh, so, uh, so Glass now. Uh, throws hard. He has fantastic stuff. He might need to resurrect his changeup. And of course I wrote down here, maybe cats can fix him, but uh, as a very solid number four or five starter, yes, please. Like just, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. So uh, essentially in a trade package, like what would it take to get both Snell and glass now? I thought that uh, first of all, the Rays will definitely want someone like Kopech, uh, like mm-hmm. last now throws very hard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think that, you know, first of all, I just want to say that we're going to talk about trading away some names that I'm sure that White Sox fans, uh, you know, as you've mentioned before, like quite a bit um, in the, in the farm system or even at the major league level, potentially. Um, but I think you all, you have to, it, it doesn't take any more really than looking back to last season to see, the importance of starting rotation depth um, and the White Sox, you know, you can look at a team on paper and you could say, you know, Oh, here's all these guys, but then an injury here, an injury there. Um, all of a sudden it makes it a lot more you know, challenging. So if you look at the White Sox rotation, for example, um, you know, we, you know, you know, him, you love him. Lucas Giolito right at the top is, you know, an excellent, uh, <laughs> you know, an excellent piece right there. We saw what he did um, in the brief, playoff appearance uh, that the White Sox had last season um, in the shortened season. But again, we saw pretty quickly that after Giolito, um, it was, it was a little bit rough. Uh, There just wasn't really the depth there to make. And the White Sox are at a place right now where they have to be thinking about making deep playoff runs because that's what they're at. They're no longer rebuilding. Now they're at the, okay, we're a good team. We need to get better. Um, And so I think that getting a guy like Snell, getting a guy like Glasnow, obviously, you know, Snell being the more, uh, more kind of ready to be top of the rotation kind of guy, uh, to throw in there is good, but also Glasnow rounding out the, the back end of the rotation would be excellent. Um, so if you have to trade a Michael Kopech, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious, Janice, where are you with Michael Kopech as far as expectations? Uh, we saw him briefly, uh, what was that? I guess two seasons ago now where he, uh, came up. I think he debuted against. Help me out here. Was it Detroit? 
I don't really remember exactly. He had a, there was like the rain. There was like three starts in a row where it like rained where he was supposed to pitch. I don't really remember exactly. He looked really, really good. And then all of a sudden he looked really, really not good. And everyone was like, how, how does that happen so quickly? Arm injury. So (laughs) that's what happened there. But I guess I'm just wondering, where are you with your expectations for what kind of a player Kopech maybe realistically can become at this point? At this point, uh, I kind of wish we saw at least a little bit of him from last year. Uh, I totally understand and support the reason why he opted out last season. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think what we saw of him at spring training, uh, I was at that game, hello, uh, I, I thought that was really fantastic and kind of that span of 20 minutes where he threw like five pitches, like, like 102 miles an hour, like in a row, I think like all of, all of White Sox Twitter just kind of like was elated at that site. Uh, just mainly because, uh, yeah, in 2018, I'm just looking at good old baseball reference right now uh, where uh, Michael Kopech uh, pitched four games in 14 mm-hmm. innings. Uh, yeah, and gave up eight earned runs in 14 innings. So, uh, yeah, not a spectacular debut, uh, but uh, definitely kind of watching his development and watching uh, that spring training performance. I I think he still has, like, fantastic potential. And, uh, yeah, just kind of looking at what the Rays have done with really young, um, not necessarily – uh, household names, but uh, just big league ready players uh, that uh, they've done a fantastic job of building those guys up. And Glass now is an example of one of those players. So, uh, yeah, uh, I don't, I, I'm honestly kind of on the fence. I, I have, I'm not hugging Kopech. I might have like an awkward arm around. <laughs> uh, so I, I think if it, letting him go is what it takes to win sooner, then I am definitely more than willing just to awkwardly stand or social distance myself from my <laughs> Yeah, n- no hugging. H- hugging is definitely not safe in a, in a- <laughs> I, I also think too, like, and I, I guess this kind of can, can go over the whole conversation, which is I, I, I wish that the White Sox would go out and, um, you know, spend, spend the money that it takes to sign premium free agents. Um, we haven't traditionally seen that happen. Uh, there's a very real chance that we don't see that happen this offseason, considering, as you said, many teams are crying poor, even though they're not. Uh, the White Sox certainly would not be a team that would be that would surprise me to come out and say that that's the case. I actually have already said that uh, earlier last season when Bob Nightingale reported that Jerry Reinsdorf said that we don't have any monies with the bull between the Bulls and the White Sox. I don't have any money. Um, and uh that t- lets me think that they were, there was a little bit of foreshadowing to what the expectations for the baseball offseason might look like. But we wouldn't have to talk about – we wouldn't really have to talk about trading guys like Kopech or Andrew Vaughn or Nick Madrigal or Dane Dunning if they would go out and, and spend the money on free agents. Um, but uh, that's not the case right now. So it, because, because they're not going out and doing that to this point um, – we have to see, you know, we have to, you have to be creative on the, on the trade market. And when a name like Blake Snell comes up as a potential uh, target, that's, that's somehow available. Thank you, Rays. Um, you have to inquire on that and you have, and, and, but to get a guy like him, a guy with postseason, uh, you know, experience, uh, which is huge. 
Um, and something, something that we know that, uh, that Rick Hahn, uh, values because when looking for a manager, he talked about recent postseason experience. <laughs> and, uh, we, and you know, uh, Blake Snell has recent postseason experience, you know, within the last, um, not only was it last season, uh, but apparently Rick Hahn's window is, you know, anywhere in the last 20 years if you've had postseason. <laughs> okay, anyway. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that if you can acquire a guy like that, and you don't have to spend money, but it's spending, you know, again, spending money would be better to me than giving up prospects in a trade. But if they're not going to do it, you have to get talent somehow. And this White Sox team is so close to being there, you know, and, and I think uh, it, they've just got to take those extra steps. Absolutely. And in case anyone needed to be sold on Blake Snell, uh, his stuff is absolutely um, elite. So his whiff percentage is certainly up there. Uh, K rate two looks great. Uh, fastball velocity is also pretty decent for a left-hander. He gets excellent spin on his fastball as well. Uh, his last season, he had some pretty okay numbers. Um, one thing to point out is that his ERA, uh, 324, uh, his uh, fielding independent pitching is a blip better. I don't have it in front of me, but you're just going to have to trust that it is indeed better, uh, especially if he can get back to uh, that 2019 year. Uh, definitely that K rate was up at the top 8% of the league at 333 um yeah so there you go uh yes uh if the question is Blake Snell the answer is absolutely <laughs> and if you can get Tyler Glasnow as well you got to do it I mean absolutely. I just want to you know we don't have to spend too much time on this but I do have to say Tyler Glasnow in that rotation does become the most handsome pitcher in the starting rotation, which is hard to say. Uh, it's hard to, to accept that, but I think it is true. Uh, Lucas Giolito, we love you, but somehow Tyler Glasnow is what? got? He's two or three inches taller. How tall is yeah. Giolito? 6'5", six, 6'6"? Six, six? He's 6'6". Six, six. I, I think, um, I don't know. I don't know if he'd be upset that he's no longer the tallest player <laughs> on the team. I, I don't think he'd be all that angry. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he'd probably be happy that we have um, a, hard, <laughs> a, a hard-throwing righty. Yes. So there's a little bit of a variance there. Um, especially with Snell, I think uh, the foil to Keuchel would be especially nice uh, to elite left-handed pitchers. And mm-hmm. if you know me, I love my lefties. I love my left-handed pitchers. I keep them near and dear to my heart. So <laughs> to have uh, Two fantastic lefties, uh, perhaps uh, a, a two, uh, a two and three, maybe a two and four. Uh, if we like just move glass now to five, God, I can't believe that I'm actually talking about this. Like it's real, but it's just, <laughs> But anyway, uh, we're just having fun here. We're just spitballing, speculating, having fun. Uh, So in that regard, let's go ahead and move on to our next Black Friday deal. So the plan, another controversial uh, topic that's been going around, is to acquire Chris Bryant from the Cubs. And just to start off, to let y'all know, I am pro-Chris Bryant. 
I am definitely not one of those, I'll hold my nose, and if he ends up on the White Sox, then I'll be happy. No, 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 no. No nose holding at all. Like, I, I will definitely open my uh, open my arms and welcome – that came out awkwardly. I will welcome Chris Bryant to the White Sox with open arms, of course, with social distancing kept in mind. Sure. Uh, so <laughs> – just uh, just symbolic open arms. <laughs> Ryan can stay six feet away from me. Not only that, um, he and I share the same birthday. Uh, oh. We would be getting another Capricorn on the team. <laughs> and uh, nothing better than more, more Capricorns on my favorite baseball team. All right. So besides that, enough astrology talk. So what is the Black Friday deal? Let us acquire Chris Bryant and you, Darvish, from the Cubs. All right, Sam, what do you think about that? Well, so I, I'm also very much pro Chris Bryant. Um, I think that one of the great things about him in this situation is that uh, he shouldn't cost too much just for him alone. Uh, we'll talk about you, Darvish, in a package deal as well. Um, but I, I think Chris Bryant is a guy who we've seen has has literally MVP potential, has been an MV, a league MVP, um, it, you know, has all the, the all the tools in the world. Uh, also, I just, I think he's a really, from what we can tell, seems to be a good dude, uh, which I would, if possible, you know, if given the option, would like to, prefer, you know, would like to bring those guys ab- aboard uh, the Sox, especially to kind of even out some of that karma, you know, karma that has, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, but, but yeah, I, I like Chris Bryant. Um, and again, I, I want to just make the, the PSA. For anyone listening and is still unclear on this, he is not going to be playing third base if the White Sox acquire him. Um, I don't know if, if people watched Cubs games or not. It's, it's fine if you didn't, uh, but he actually plays right field and he's he's not bad. He's not terrible at that. Um, so uh, if you would if you would prefer to watch, you know, um, another year of Nomar Mazzara as opposed to uh, a year of Chris Bryant and see what happens. I don't know what to tell you, but I would I would like to see Chris Bryant out and out and right um, at the right price. Same here, same yeah. here. And just a a slight dive into the numbers. Uh, he has played outfield ever since uh, his rookie season in 2015. Uh, last year, uh, he played drum roll, please. Uh, I'm reading this wrong. Let's see here. He played four games in the outfield in 2020. In a uh, in a sixty game season in twenty nineteen, he played forty four games in the outfield. So uh, in twenty twenty, uh, fielding percentage is a thousand. Uh, so defensively, he's okay. So I think he would certainly be an upgrade in the lineup um, over Mazzara for sure. Uh, but he bats he bats right handed, of course. Uh, so some other things about Chris Bryant. Where the heck are my notes? So yes, he had an off year in 2020, but he did have a 903 OPS in 2019. I don't think he should be judged harshly based on a shortened season in a pandemic. Uh, mm-hmm. So his last season, like the 2020, was not great. He's still a very good player. He's a 24.1 B WAR player to be exact. Uh, yeah. So if the again, if the question is Chris Bryant, my answer <laughs> is yes. Uh, and also, too, I'm pretty sure uh, the Cubs have pissed off Chris Bryant to the extent where I'm sure he would be more than happy to join um, us on the south side. Yes, and I think, too, uh, you have to look at this from the 
the context of what's going on, obviously, on the north side where, um, you know, Theo Epstein uh, steps down as the uh, as the well, I don't even know what his his official role was, just basically the the king of the Cubs. Um, so he, he's uh, it's going to be Jed Hoyer now for at least the next five years. Uh, the Cubs are are by all uh, indications going into full rebuild. Um, they haven't really done anything yet that's you know on the field wise that's going to indicate that but again it's going to happen um all the signaling is that there's going to be a teardown of payroll um all of that and they and also they have a number of you know they have too many guys that they need to give money to uh potentially the you know whether that's Javi Baez or Wilson Contreras or you know a number of names um not everyone's going to be able to stay and if they're really trying to shed salary a guy like Chris Bryant is owed a little over 18 million next season. Um, you Darvish, I forget his exact contract numbers, but that's another guy who's getting paid quite a bit who, if they can get a team to eat some of that or most of that salary, I don't think these guys are going to be um, too expensive, uh, especially if the White Sox are willing to take on um, a majority of those, co- the contracts. And again, I think that the team this off season, and I don't know who it's going to be that it, that opens up the opens up their, their wallets the most. Um, I don't, I think that is going to be really rewarded because I do think a lot of teams are going to be kind of sitting on their hands this off season um, and kind of waiting to see what, what happens. Uh, if one of the, if one team decides to say, you know what, we're going to go out and take advantage of this market um, and take advantage of situations in baseball, whether it's the Rays trying to cut, you know, shed, shed payroll or the Cubs trying to do so. Um, someone's going to, someone's going to come out with some really good players if they play the market uh, correctly. Um, and I think the White Sox are in a perfect position to do that really, because as we've been talking about, they're a good team. We don't have to talk about, uh, you know, a team that is uh, on the rise. I mean, they're pretty much there right now. It's just a matter of um, supplementing a talented roster with more talent. Um, and so a package to get, I think an idea of getting, yeah, Chris Bryant and Darvish take two of them, two off their hands. I do wonder, you know, at a certain point, the Cubs will want, you know, even with the White Sox taking on salary, the Cubs will want some kind of talented players uh, to, to put, to start to restock their farm system. Maybe that's, um, you know, I don't, maybe that's a Dane Dunning. Uh, Maybe that's, um, I don't know. I, I, all I know is that, and I've been scouring, as you know, the White Sox forums, uh, which which my eyes have been bleeding a lot doing so every time I look at the White Sox forums. But uh, I, I want people to also realize that the White Sox are not going to be able to acquire anything for the combination of Blake Rutherford or Micker Adolfo, Micker Adolfo or uh, pretty much any of the, that outfield crop that has been sort of underperforming at either A or double A and has not been able to rise above that. Um, you, you have to think a little bit bigger in terms of uh, packages to send to other teams. So again, maybe, but I, I, I would love, I would absolutely love to get uh, Darvish and Bryant on the South side. I think that they would be uh, very welcome additions. So uh, to dip slightly back into Realisticville for a little bit, we won't be here for long. Don't worry. So uh, I don't think uh, the Cubs will ask for anything uh, too uh, high risk in order to get just Bryant. Uh, I believe that uh, if the White Sox do indeed acquire Bryant, uh, the Cubs will probably yeah, not want much in return. However, uh, I believe Darvish is definitely going to be 
the piece that will uh, certainly uh, warrant a little bit more of a, a headliner prospect. Maybe someone like Avon, maybe someone like a, a Dunning for sure. So to dive into the numbers, so uh, you, by the way, is 34. Uh, I honestly thought he was way younger, uh, so <laughs> I'm a little uh, weirded out by that. I could have sworn he was like 30 or 31, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, he has three years left on his six-year contract. So uh, in 2021, he is owed $22 million. 2022, $19 million and his, the last year of his contract, 2023, is $18 million. So, uh, yes, if the Cubs can somehow uh, still maintain a little bit of that uh, part of the payroll, uh, but like you said, they're looking to dump more than likely. So, uh, yeah, you, again, another elite uh, pitcher, my personal Cy Young winner uh, from this past season. He was absolutely lights out this year. I watched a couple of um, his starts that were not against the White Sox, and I was just thoroughly impressed. Um, how can you not be? So uh, you is another piece where uh, I'm not saying that these deals will uh, run in tandem realistically. Like, like shit, man. If we get if the White Sox get Darvish, <laughs> uh, Blake Snell, and Tyler Glass now in the same offseason, that's definitely like some MLB The Show type bullshit right there. Let's make it happen. But you know what? <laughs> you know what? Like enough of enough of this prospect hugging and crying poor. Like we, we have to do what it takes to win. And I'm sure there's someone listening to this being like, the hell are these two on? <laughs> no, I, I just think it's it's like if if the the, the White Sox are, are in a position where if they gave up their farm system to acquire, let's say, all the players in both the deals that we were just discussing, then everything that they have at the major league level is good enough to win a World Series. And for, to me, that's what I'm focusing on. Um, you know, if after if if after these deals, you look at the, the the farm system and it looks more similar to it did to as it did, you know, seven eight, nine years ago, which was very, very bad, but a world series comes out of it. Um, you know, that's, those are the things you have to start to, to, to weigh as you become a better team. Um, also, I do like one of my favorite things with you, Darvish is the fact that uh, he had his career impacted pretty, pretty severely by a cheating organization, you know, a cheating organization, a cheating team. Um, he kind of took it in stride as much and actually, seems to have a sense of humor about it uh, these days, um, which I'm, which I've always had a lot of respect for because if I were in his position, it would be probably a lot more challenging uh, to do so. But it turned out that when teams are not cheating against him, he's actually really damn good. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and it was a nice little retribution to see that for, for you, Darvish. Yeah, I do remember he uh, took a lot of that, um, that flack when he played for the Dodgers and uh, yeah, his social media game is strong. Yes. Fit in well on the South side and he won't have to move either. Um, he lives uh, <laughs> a couple blocks away from me, a uh, fellow Evanstonian. Uh, so the commute to the South side, it's actually not that bad. It's like a 40 minute drive. It, like it's, it's fine. You'd listen to podcasts like this one. <laughs> you know, I, I fully expect you after this podcast to just walk down the street and uh, make your pitch. Although <laughs> I guess to be fair, he could be like you could see, you could make the pitch, and he'd be like, "Fine," but I'm under a th- under contract for the next three years. 
<laughs> so I'm just gonna like just nail um, a list of reasons why you should come <laughs> to the White Sox to his door, like a la Martin <laughs> Luther. Uh, <laughs> Look at that reference. (laughs) Definitely um, maybe less against the Catholic Church, but really more so, um, and not necessarily against the Cubs either, just really more so uh, pro why the White Sox would be a way better, way better fit for you, Darvish. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I think too, is like, I I think that, you know, the, the, the players on the Cubs all see what's happening and, um, and this is not a team that's going to be competing uh, or, or contending now for a while, but that's by design. They're going to a rebuild most likely. And so if you're, if you're you Darvish and you're 34 years old and you're still pitching at a very high level, um, you'd probably prefer to take your talents to a place where uh, world series contention is, is very much in play uh, now. And um, that is absolutely happening on the South side. And that's not even us just trying to sell it. I mean, that's just what it is. Uh, you have two. You have teams going in two, two uh, directions, um, and I will make one pitch here. Uh, Theo Epstein, recently uh, newly unemployed, um, if he does want to, you know, I know that there's. It's been said that you know he might want to uh, own a team at some point in his life. I think if he doesn't want to like sort of take over the world somehow, uh, and he wants to stay in baseball um, at a higher level than he was, you know, stick it out. Theo, keep your keep your options open in a few years. That might be very possible here on the south side of Chicago. <laughs> Please, Theo. <laughs> what are we going to do tonight, Theo? The same thing we do every night. Take <laughs> over the world. <laughs> step one: buy the White Sox. I mean, it's a, it's a step, but I mean, like again, it's possible. I don't know. Uh, a couple specifically one thing has to happen first. Uh, it, it could happen just by the by the uh, the odd uh, statistically, or or if you look at the ages of some people. I'm just saying. I think Theo Epstein uh, buying the White Sox would be fabulous. I would I would be all for that. I absolutely would be for it too. Um, I, I'm definitely not going to uh, jump aboard the anyone but Jerry at this point train. Oh, why the hell not? Let, 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 let's jump on that train. <laughs> why the hell not? So just also thinking about this like hypothetical, like fantasy pie in the sky rotation. I, I really love the the contrast between you Darvish who has like 15 pitches and Tyler Glass now who has like two <laughs> but who knows like especially with even cats around uh we can maybe get last now's pitch count to 2.5 maybe like just kind of raise the the zombie change up that he used to throw back from the dead and uh yeah maybe uh, you can uh, share some insight in tandem with cats and teach the entire team just like more crazy pitches and uh but yeah just appreciate and love all the things you does i love you darvish (laughs) (laughs) he would fit in he would fit in really well especially i think with the culture of the team um and also i it's funny when you mention ethan katz new new pitching coach where it's like it's sort it's 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 very cool to think about the fact that they have a pitching coach sort of for the new age of pitching and, and up to date now in baseball where um, you don't have to think about sort of Don Cooper, just sort of 
um, his, thinking that his aura alone uh, enhances pitcher, pitcher's stuff. And you actually might be able to have a guy like Ethan Katz who says, well, actually, let's let's dive in here. Let's really take a look at what we can improve in, in your repertoire. Uh, and um, so it's it's cool to think about the improvements that are going to be made just on, a, on, a, on, an, on an aside, if that's a if that's a thing there. Um, and aside, what would it be? That's an aside. An if, if people are still listening. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's an aside, a side dish, a side dish. I don't a, know. a side I dish, know. whatever. But, you know, Ethan Katz, just fix fix one of Reynaldo or Cease. And, uh, yes, I'm going to need to see yeah. uh, Ethan Katz uh, and his uh, Dylan Cease plan uh, ASAP. And it has to be something uh, a little more thorough than just throw strikes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> needs to be a little more uh, well-versed than that. Uh, so just to go off on a brief Ethan Katz tangent. Uh, so if the White Sox look to acquire one of Katz's former students, uh, and I am talking about none other than Jack Flaherty. He is a free agent in 2024. He's also heading uh, into arbitration as well. So perhaps a, a future target uh, for the White Sox. And so uh, best friends, Lucas Giolito and Jack Flaherty, re- reunited again uh, on the south side of Chicago. Would love to see that. But seeing as how uh, this White Sox rotation is already just loaded, just like to the brim as is, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let Jack have his time in St. Louis. Like I'm, yes. I'm not going to worry about acquiring Jack for, for now. We're going to, how old is he? 26? 25. Okay. So, hey, we can get, we can get Flaherty before the, before he's 30, it sounds like, maybe right at the age of 30 around. Um, let's make that happen. Again, we're just putting things out into the universe. Uh, that's all we're doing. We're only being half serious. <laughs> I mean, we're joke. we're half joking, uh, half not, uh, just mainly because we want this team to win. Absolutely. Anyway, that is Black Friday trade proposals. I really hope you enjoyed that as much as I did um, putting that all together. So uh, now we are going to take a brief break to hear some words from our uh, sponsors unbeknownst to us at this point in time. (laughs) We don't listen to the ads. We have no idea what ads they're putting in. But anyway, without further ado, here are some ads. And we're back. You are listening to the Northside Sox podcast, a member of the Southside Sox podcast network. I am Janice Scurrio. With me is none other than the one and only Sam Sherman. So yesterday on Twitter, uh, I posted a photo from a cookbook that I found at my mom's house. Uh, And this cookbook like weirdly enough, I believe I got from a Socks Fest goodie bag like a, like a million friggin' years ago. Like I can't remember how I got this cookbook, but for whatever reason, uh, it was in my childhood bedroom, on top of all of the other White Sox uh, accoutrement that I've acquired over the course of many years. So uh, this cookbook, Socks Appetite. Uh, was a cookbook put together by the Chicago White Sox wives benefiting Gilda's Club, uh, looking at the cover. I really regret not taking this cookbook from my mom's house, honestly. I I just took pictures of it because uh, looking at some of the recipes, I was a little aghast 
and figured that uh, this cookbook was best left <laughs> in somewhere where I could not further read it. But um, one recipe in particular that caught my eye was Mark Burley's 24-hour salad, which uh, is very uncharacteristic of Mark Burley to begin with. You would think that Mark Burley would only need two hours to make a salad. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> Right, right, right. So uh, in this salad, uh, there is one head of lettuce, like inferably iceberg maybe, shredded, two cups of raw cauliflower, one package of frozen peas, two cups of Miracle Whip, one onion, raw onion chopped. Uh, We've also got some bacon. Okay, maybe, you know, some of the saving grace of this recipe. We've got Cheddar cheese, okay, I'm still kind of listening. And to top it off, we have a third cup of sugar. And so the preparation is to layer everything in the order above, put it in a sealed container overnight, and mix it when ready to serve. So my first reaction to this recipe was, what the fuck? Uh, you know, I've thought, like, ever since you 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 sent me this last night, I was sort of, I've been really, really wrapping my head around figuring out uh, what this would taste like, um, you know, cause it's easy to look at those ingredients and say, Oh, that would be terrible or something. Uh, but I was really trying to think about it and how would these flavors go together? And I still don't know. I still have no, I'm no closer to that answer than I was last night. Um, the frozen peas are the thing for me that really just throw off the entire uh, potential of that dish. So a couple of pages down, uh, weirdly enough, uh, there is a recipe for a seven-layer salad provided to us by none other than the milkman, Herbert Perry. (laughs) So uh, this recipe is very similar to the Mark Burley recipe, except this one uses mayonnaise, mustard, Worcestershire, Worcestershire sauce? Yeah, yeah. Uh, And hard-boiled eggs. Uh, so this recipe I actually am a little familiar with, uh, because my cousins, for whatever reason, like, love this shit. Uh, so no shade thrown to my cousins, but, like, oh my goodness. So I'm very familiar with this version of the recipe. Um, but I think what we're getting at here is, uh, (laughs) this is perhaps the most Midwestern, uh, (laughs) juxtaposition of recipes I have seen in quite some time. Uh, This book did have some bangers, though. Um, So one uh, bright spot was definitely the uh, peanut butter chocolate chip uh, recipe provided by The Big Hurt, Frank Thomas. Uh, So one really interesting thing I've noticed is that Frank uses Crisco in his cookie recipe, which, you know, I've just been over here making cookies with regular ass butter. (laughs) regular not ass butter mind you <laughs> i want to clarify that just regular um a dairy-based butter for years uh so I, I don't know if like crisco is is going to make a huge difference do you have any experience cooking with crisco um yeah well no i don't personally but my partner made a pie the other day that had crisco was it a pie yeah that had crisco and i it took us a while to find it in the grocery store, which was weird because, like, it's such a familiar familiar packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the pie uh, was very good. So that would be my <laughs> my small contribution to that, I, to my to the knowledge of Chris. We have a knowledge bank of Crisco here on the uh, Northside Sox podcast. <laughs> We're just always adding to it. 
Yeah, I, I can just I can just see it. Like the packaging is blue and maybe gold. It comes like yeah. in a, in a gold wrapping. I, I haven't used Crisco at all, actually. So this so this is uh, uncharted territory for me. But I know that uh, Frank Thomas uh, has another cookbook, as someone in my my mentions has told me. So uh, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna trust him. I'm gonna trust that Frank Thomas knows his food. Uh, he's also, I believe, from Georgia, so uh, they know their food down there. So in that regard, uh, I, I think this this recipe is pretty trustworthy. Another interesting recipe is Aaron Rowan's Champagne Punch, uh, where Aaron Rowan is nice enough to offer a non-alcoholic suggestion for those who don't drink, but he says for an added effect, add dry ice. It's sure to be an eye catcher. So I'm just like, where is Aaron Rowan getting all this dried dry I, ice? I was from? thinking the same thing. <laughs> But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, that is the uh, the Socks Appetite Cookbook and some of the, uh, you know, somewhat appetizing, somewhat questionable recipes from that. Uh, so uh, we at Northside Socks, we love uplifting news around here. We just don't um, decry and bemoan Tony La Russa. Uh, we, we talk about good things, too. We talk about um, cookie recipes, um, like by by Hall of Fame players. We also talk about uh, cool things that players on our current roster are currently doing. Uh, so one cool piece uh, written by Year of the Hamster on Southside Socks talks about uh, how Tim Anderson uh, doled out turkeys in his hometown of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where he and his wife Bria donated t- 205 turkeys to be exact, uh, with their annual home plate turkey drive uh, delivered this year by a socially di- a distant drive-through. Uh, so uh, in his in his career, he's always been supporting families in need. Uh, he does not uh, only help his hometown. He's also very much so involved in the local community in Chicago. Uh, so uh, looks like he has hosted a Chicago Youth for a Cultural Tour of the National Center for Civil Rights and Human Rights in Atlanta uh, and uh, has held numerous events to give back to both the communities in Tuscaloosa and Chicago. And last year also presented a family with $1,000 in holiday presents during a meet and greet at Guaranteed Rate Field. So uh, the Andersons, like definitely one of the coolest families, if not the coolest family in all of Major League Baseball. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, Tim Anderson continues to be awesome. Uh, Sam, your thoughts on Tim Anderson and his philanthropy? I'm very glad that you mentioned both what the work he's done in his hometown and also his other, uh, his other, uh, you know, I guess what sort of become a second hometown from of Chicago. Um, you know, he's, he's doing it on both fronts. Uh, that's really how he's been since he's, since he's been, uh, in the, with the White Sox, specifically in the major leagues with the White Sox. Um, he's been someone that's really done a lot for the communities and you listed those things. Did you mention the, the stolen base every for every stolen base. What is it? A $500 donation uh, that he makes. I think that was happening at least two years ago. I'm sure, I don't know if it was still happening last season, uh, but he's got a number of different things that he does uh, both he and his wife for uh, the communities that they are a part of. Um, and I, I just, as you were listing off those different things, I was thinking about how, um, you know, and, and this, this is, this could even be in a whole nother conversation, but it is sort of a shame to me that, 
uh, a lot of people, maybe not a lot, I don't want to make it seem like more than it is, but there are people in baseball that think about Tim Anderson and think about, oh, that's the guy who bat flips or that's the guy that, and, and I'm talking about, you know, I love when people think about that as a positive because we love the bat flips. We love the way that he plays the game. Unfortunately, there's people that uh, think about him as, as negatively for that reason, uh, which is what his defense. Uh, yeah, or, or his defense, whatever. It has improved significantly. Uh, yes, it has. Uh, it it absolutely has, which uh, is especially um, significant considering he said he was going to work on it. And in sports, we hear people saying that they're going to work on things all the time. It doesn't always come out that way, but he's actually gotten better. Um, so again, it, it, you know, we talk about athletes on a lot of different, in a lot of different ways. Some people just stick to what they do on the field. Some people just stick to do it well, off the field. There's all these, these combinations or these challenges. Tim Anderson across the board has been nothing but an incredible representative um, uh, for not only the White Sox, but the city of Chicago, obviously his hometown in Alabama. Um, and yeah, I just think that these are the things that need to be talked about so much more than anything uh, because he's not, he's become, he's just the, uh, across the board, both what he's done on the field and off the field and the contributions he's made um, is, is pretty remarkable because if he were just showing us what he could do on the field and being, you know, a, uh, you know, batting champ and all of that. Um, and again, improved defense, that would be, that would be in many ways good enough, but he continues to, to, to um, both he and his wife uh, really improve um, what they can and do what they can for the city of Chicago and um, for Tuscaloosa. So yeah, very, uh, uh, very impressive. And we're very proud of Tim Anderson here on the Northside Sox podcast and uh, excited to see still a very young player, what he will continue to do um, in his career. Yeah. He told me at Sox Fest too, uh, just in January, which feels like, like five years ago at this point, uh, that one of the things that he was working on like perhaps at the top of his list was uh, definitely working on his defense, say just getting in front of the ball, uh, getting behind the ball, getting on top of it, below it, just uh, positioning himself uh, in in the way where he's not overexerting himself and trying to make like really extravagant plays, but also to just working on routine stuff and uh, just kind of cleaning up a uh, a lot of a lot of stuff on that regard. Uh, but yeah, he certainly put in work, love the guy, a uh, fantastic all around. And uh, of course, like I will just bemoan how MLB does not know how to market its players in any regard. Like I've probably mm-hmm. like said that on 80 different podcasts, but uh, what I'm talking about with Tim Anderson is that uh, his YouTube channel, uh, which I don't think has had any uh, new episodes lately, uh, but he had a, a really great um, a channel where he would just kind of uh, give the fans uh, a, a, some daily insights into what his day was like and uh, some of the things that uh, some of the routines that he would go through a uh, pregame, like especially during spring training. Uh, and it was, it was just a really intrepid kind of uh, like in-depth look. And it, you, you kind of really got to know him. You, re- you got to know him as a person, uh, say his relationship with a lot of the other players, his relationship even with staff members too. Uh, he's just also a really kind guy. Uh, and to be nice to other baseball players is one thing, but to, to, to show kindness like to everyone involved in the game, whether it be staff, journalists, uh, ushers, uh, he's just like just genuinely nice to everyone. And I think that's really important to talk about as well. 
But uh, yeah, now we wind down to the final portion of the Northside Sox podcast, this special post-Thanksgiving edition. So uh, Sam, we were talking earlier uh, as we were sort of warming up, throwing our, our bullpens, our tandem bullpen sessions. <laughs> uh, that uh, yeah, so when it comes to Thanksgiving food, there's been plenty of discourse lately on whether Thanksgiving food is actually good. And I want to say uh, it is, it is. As someone who was raised in the United States, uh, I am uh, the daughter of an immigrant uh, who is not used to Thanksgiving food, uh, but my mom loves it. And I, I kind of get the same uh, sentiment from a lot of other immigrants too, who aren't really used to the concept of Thanksgiving uh, or, or, or like what the meal uh, is about and uh kind of uh, what, what what the various food items uh, signify. So uh, my experience with Thanksgiving food uh, is, it, it, it's actually just kind of mixed, where in the uh, there are some things that I absolutely love. Uh, there are some things that I have historically always hated. Uh, but of course, as I'm getting more comfortable with making food myself, uh, my relationship has significantly changed with that. So in regards to White Sox players as Thanksgiving food items, uh, the first t- topic, the first thing we were thinking of is the turkey. So no one wants to be called a turkey, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to be the turkey. But of course, like turkey is very controversial in the sense that some people mm-hmm. love turkey. Some people hate it. Some people uh, definitely argue on the preparation, some of the things that go along with it. Like, oh, no, you, you need to put gravy on your turkey. You need to put cranberries on your turkey. So in that regard, uh, the turkey on the White Sox would certainly be a controversial figure where uh, some people will regard this person as being always good. Some people will regard this person as being always bad. So in that regard, um, I keep saying that. The person who I think comes the closest to this description is probably Yasmani Grandal. I love that. I, th- I, you, you know, you mentioned it briefly before we were recording today and I, and I was kind of going back and forth in my head about what the Turkey would be on the white Sox, but I think it's really good uh, with, with Yaz being that guy, because um, yeah, I mean, we've seen, there's not a bigger Yasmani Grandal fan than you. I think you're still the, uh, you always have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're still at the helm of the Yasmani Grandal fan club. Yes, I believe I am president, um, secretary, vice president, <laughs> surgeon at arms of yeah. the Money Grandall fan club. Uh, there, and... there are there are dozens of us, <laughs> dozens strong. <laughs> but yes, but yes, yeah. He's he's certainly controversial in the sense that uh, defensively he's really great at framing, uh, but he also makes very uh, simple uh, errors on plays that like definitely should have been made. Uh, there are part time times where he redeems himself. Um, so I do remember one game last year where I believe um, a run scored on a drop strike, but then uh, he uh, hit a homer the next mm-hmm. inning to put the White Sox ahead. That's a very loose retelling of what happened. I don't have any of the information in front of me, but essentially where he falls short, he is definitely certain to uh, bounce back and uh, redeem himself later on. So uh, does Turkey do that? I don't know. Not necessarily. Um, I was actually surprised when Turkey showed up at my Thanksgiving dinner with just me and my mom. Um, Our neighbors uh, left us a plate on our front porch. 
And neither me nor my mom like turkey, which is the plot twist here. But um, our neighbors gave us a plate and I was like, oh, hey, it's turkey. And my mom was like, you know what, let, 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 let's have some turkey. What, what, what the hell, you know what, let, 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 let's just do it. So yes, there it is. Uh, yes, Monty Grandal is your turkey on the white box. <laughs> oh, I'm only just thinking now about the potential Photoshop uh, opportunities for the cut, for the, the image that will go alongside this episode. And uh, we'll see. I've got a couple ideas already, just based on Yasmani Grandal as a turkey, but uh, there's still time. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about uh, the green bean casserole. So mm-hmm. green bean casserole is a food that I have traditionally always despised. It's, it's just basic. Uh, it has cream of mushroom soup. I hate mushrooms. Mushrooms are not food in any form or regard, <laughs> especially in condensed soup form hate them just absolutely hate them uh and to dump mushrooms on top of green beans which are offensive already just kind of <laughs> adds insult to injury and then you've got like i don't know the fried onions which which, which you know are okay fried onions are fine but uh, the green bean casserole is in my opinion would be a player who uh was never really good at first but can certainly be improved upon. So I made a green bean casserole and switched the cream of mushroom soup with cream of chicken soup. And I added ham and cheese to the recipe. And guess what? It was awesome. <laughs> That's, I, I really like those additions. Like that, there's, it makes it very hard. Again, you still have the green beans in there, obviously. It would be t- hard to call it green bean casserole without the green beans. But those additions at it, you know, uh, were to its benefit. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in that case, um, who in recent history has made some minor adjustments to their game and has uh, actually quite improved? Well, I, I, you know, this was a tough one, I think. Did you have somebody in mind? Because I have one that you're not going to like to hear. Uh, I would actually like to hear yours. So let's hear it, Sam. So I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw a, uh, a strange one at you here because quite frankly, um, Lucas Giolito made some minor adjustments to his game and became quite good. Now, I don't know if we can compare the adjustments that you made to your green bean casserole. What was it? Ham you added, you added, you did cream of chicken. Yeah. Cream of chicken soup. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, a regular old green bean casserole would be 2018 Giolito. Uh, yes. So uh, 2019 Giolito, for sure, uh, is definitely my green bean casserole. <laughs> so if we're comparing it, so that's the hard thing, though. Are we comparing it to, like, is it your green bean casserole with the adjustments? Yes. With Yeah, well, Lucas Giolito is my green bean casserole. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, well then that, that's my pick. Cause again, I don't think he made huge adjustments. I think he made a couple of tweaks here and there. Uh, and he really unlocked his potential. Um, again, you switch out the mushroom cream of mushroom with the cream of chicken, throw a little cheese, throw a little ham. All of a sudden you're throwing, uh, no hitters against the Pittsburgh pirates. Mm-hmm. And now with Ethan Katz aboard, like, I don't know what that equivalent would be to my green bean casserole. Um, I don't know. Maybe even more cheese. I don't know. <laughs> or Miracle Whip and frozen peas. You know, just oh, go all in. Goodness. Oh, <laughs> my God. 
All right. So moving on. Uh, so another Thanksgiving table staple, mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes, I think, are very genuine, generally liked. But as we were discussing pre-pod, uh, say the Thanksgiving mashed potatoes, I, I don't know what it is about them. Uh, they just kind of suck. I, I don't know what yeah. it is about um, mashed potatoes that are just like like made from scratch. Uh uh, and then I realized late into my adult years that a lot of the times uh, butter is the only additive, and you gotta season. You gotta season those mashed potatoes, man. So yeah. You throw those herbs in there. Throw those spices in there. You gotta, man. Um, it, it certainly matters. And so the brief contrast with box mashed potatoes. Bo- box mashed potatoes are always good for that reason because they already have the flavors and all the ad- additives and all that shit mixed in already. All right. So in that regard, we're generally talking about mashed potatoes, box or made from scratch, seasoned, of course. So in that case, um, who is just always good? Maybe might not have been great at one time um maybe in in some regard you're maybe uh, not really looking forward to what the potatoes might taste like because they might not be seasoned uh but of course if you add the seasoning to the potatoes they will be saved i've got someone in mind let's hear it jose abreu love it Jose Abreu just is absolutely clutch. Um, mashed potatoes this year, I believe, saved Thanksgiving dinner. Jose Abreu certainly saved a lot of this season for me in regard. Uh, MVP year, of course. Uh, mashed potatoes are definitely the MVP. Um, oh, yeah. A lot of uh, the efforts that uh, Abreu has certainly made at defense, uh, certainly those herbs and spices that go into the potatoes, Yes, so uh, Jose Abreu, uh, your mashed potatoes on the White Sox Thanksgiving table. I had a small, I I was thinking about it when you were describing the mashed potatoes, especially how, for some reason, the Thanksgiving-specific mashed potatoes are often kind of bland. But I was thinking about another option, and I really liked the Jose Abreu when that was my primary. But my backup was specific to Thanksgiving mashed potatoes, which are often bland, which is Steve Ciszek, only because you look at Steve Ciszek, in general, you know, you think about Steve Ciszek pre this season, um, or, you know, I should say pre White Sox tenure, uh, good, like pretty solid across the board. Um, but then, you know, again, Thanksgiving mashed potatoes, mashed potatoes. I like it. Thanksgiving mashed potatoes, a little bit of a different story. White Sox, Steve Ciszek, get off of my plate. White Sox, Steve Ciszek, I take a bite. I don't. I, I take a bite. I think, wow, that wasn't very good. But it is mashed potatoes. Maybe it was just the first bite that I didn't like. Take another bite. How did it get cold so quickly? I feel like I've had mashed potatoes and they stay hot forever. The good ones, but the bad ones, uh, all of a sudden become uh, frozen on my plate. So anyway, Steve Ciszek, White Sox edition. You are my uh, sort of backup um, option as the Thanksgiving mashed potatoes. However. In general, mashed potatoes, you know, put some garlic, put some butter, put some some uh, different her- her- herbs and spices. You got a great, uh, you got a great thing. Jose Abreu. Pretty excellent. <laughs> yes. Um, 
trying to think of some other uh, other food items here uh, that were on uh, my my plate uh, this past Thanksgiving. Uh, so we've got another controversial figure, I think, coming up here. So uh, I am going to bring up Brussels sprouts. Traditionally, uh, Brussels sprouts have been regarded as not good, but of course, I think Brussels sprouts have kind of uh, gone under a recent renaissance, a, yeah. a revival of sorts. Uh, I myself, uh, I love roasting Brussels sprouts in the oven, love to just roast them alongside garlic, uh, just drizzle them in olive oil, uh, crumble up some bacon in there. Some Parmesan, maybe. Those, yeah, let, let all those flavors kind of roast in there. Uh, fantastic. Absolutely delicious. So... In that regard, with some with some, with the proper preparation, with the proper um, uh, things to accompany the Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts are absolutely just delicious, excellent. But not not everyone likes Brussels sprouts, though. That's the thing. Yeah. So uh, this uh, this player will have a lot of potential. Has a lot of potential already. Uh, but uh, definitely needs some help in terms of preparation. I've got someone in mind. Do you, Sam? I think so. I want to hear yours because I wonder if we have the same one. My Brussels sprouts uh, is Nick Madrigal. Oh, okay. My my Brussels sprouts were Aloy, uh, but um, but I think I I like Nick Madrigal quite a bit. Let's let's see where this one goes. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, yeah, Nick Madrigal, uh, Nikki two strikes, great two strike hitter, hits a lot of singles, laser show. So. Uh, <laughs> Like Brussels sprouts, uh, quick to make, uh, easy to prepare. Uh, a lot of people will bemoan Brussels sprouts, especially because of some of the stupid mistakes that can be made with Brussels sprouts that, with, yeah. uh, with base running. Um, a lot of, uh, yeah, uh, getting thrown out on the base paths. Uh, Brussels sprouts will do that sometime. <laughs> but I think with the right preparation, uh, I, I think that, uh, yeah, Nick Madrigal can, can certainly improve on his game uh, within the next few few months, years. Uh, I don't know. That is uh, if we uh, don't deal him. Or I was going to say. That we, that we listed before. <laughs> this is not a prospect-hugging episode. We're just comparing prospects to food. That, 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 that's all. But anyway, that is uh, my Brussels sprouts. Now let us hear your argument for Eloy as the Brussels sprouts. I just think, you know, all the, all the talent is there. We know, we know the, the potential um, as far as, you know, if you, if you put in, like you were saying before, you put in some of the, the uh, you put some bacon on there, you leave it, you got it. You got to leave it in the oven long enough. You can't take it out early. It will be very um, not flavorful if you do so. But I think that Eloy, Last season showed us that, um, you know, he actually ended up having, you know, one hell of a season at the end of the day. Uh, but I think that that defense is still something that's going to uh, remind us that a Brussels sprout, while it has had this renaissance, is still a Brussels sprout. Um, however, over time, when people really perfect it and understand the true, you know, beauty that a Brussels sprout can bring, it'll become uh, real, uh, really a staple of the Thanksgiving uh, meal, which Aloy Jimenez, I have every um, belief, every bit of belief that he will. So that's kind of my, my half-assed argument there for Aloy Jimenez. I do have a question and not even to compare this to a player, but I want to know your thoughts on cranberry sauce because I just, 
I don't, I don't hate it. Um, I don't even know if I eat it particularly often during a Thanksgiving meal. Uh, I always see it's always there. You know, it's kind of a, it's sort of a staple of the, of the dish of the plate. Um, but I also wonder just what you think about it. Is there a way to make it better? Have you, what is, what's your experience with cranberry sauce? Weirdly enough, I always thought cranberry sauce was specifically a dressing for the turkey. I, it could I always, be. I, I always thought that it, it was never, um, I, I never ate cranberry sauce like by itself. It just, just like just spoon cranberries in my mouth. Like, no, no way. <laughs> so traditionally I would always like dump the cranberry sauce on top of the turkey. Mm-hmm. So in that case, are you asking me like who I think cranberry sauce would be? No, not, no, not even, but I do. If you have someone in mind, I'd be curious. So given my interpretation of cranberry sauce, where I specifically use it as a dressing to kind of, um, kind of, you know, judge up the turkey, which is kind of an inherent problem in itself. Uh, so, uh, trying to think of a player who would dress up the turkey and this might be a super weird metaphor hmm where by itself it may be strange uh but next to the turkey it's certainly complimentary uh i'm gonna go with james mccann love it also a little bit sad just because a little bit sad a little bit sad. yeah yeah you, you've kind of get that contrast james mccann is kind of that you know sweet kind of tart flavor uh, Yasmani Grendahl is the controversial turkey. Uh, the two of them together, especially in a lineup, fantastic. Yes. Absolutely fantastic. So that's the, the closest I will come to that metaphor right there. Yeah, yeah. James McCann, uh, if only the White Sox had the money to bring you. Oh, wait, they do. It's just that um, <laughs> baseball sucks sometimes. Anywhere from mildly to terribly. This is probably more mildly, but Man, I'd like if he uh, if he was back in the White Sox lineup for 2021. I just don't think it's going to happen, as we've as we've talked about on past podcasts. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I think uh, the Mets are going to have some cranberry sauce on their plate <laughs> next year. Uh, yeah. Well, um, the Mets have uh, new ownership. They've got a lot of really exciting, fun things going for them. Uh, yes. Good for them. Good for the Mets. Good, good for the good Mets. For <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, that is my Thanksgiving plate. Uh, do you have any others that come to you uh, just just off the top of your head? Um, you know. The, the other I, obvious one is like maybe like uh, Alex Colome as uh, some some sort of pie, kind of like yeah. <laughs> but but I feel like what's a what's a pie that like you're unsure how it's good um, is often a little bit scary but always gets the job done. <laughs> uh, I want to say grocery store pie. It, yeah, grocery store pumpkin pie is, is probably the closest uh, thing to. You it. look at it, you say, "I'm not sure how this is going to be good." Um, it might, it, you know, it it's it's. It looks like it's going to be a little bit scary, but it actually is quite good, and it does get the job done. <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to say that uh, column A is your grocery store, store-bought pie. Um, I want to say that someone like Aaron Bummer would be your homemade pie, like yeah. a, 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 a nice pie that your mom or your grandma makes, because uh, yeah. you, know, you, you know it's going to be good. You, you, you mm-hmm. know that you're, you're going to love every, uh, every bite of that slice, and you're going to eat it right up. But this other pie, it could be awesome, or it could just be like inc- incredibly just. It, it might give you a heart attack. This pie. So. 
I was thinking about, I guess the only other thing I was thinking about was, uh, you know, like who would be the Tony La Russa. Um, but I, I, I was having a hard time with that because unfortunately, uh, uh, traditionally, you know, you, a Thanksgiving plate does not have chocolate ice cream with razor blades uh, in it um, <laughs> hidden away. Because uh, again, you know, chocolate ice cream. Oh, I mean, personally, I love chocolate ice cream um, with razor blades in it. Not as much. But the thing is, is that if they're hidden away, you don't necessarily see them, but you get closer, you start digging around a little bit. Actually, not even really that much. And all of a sudden, you're like, I'm not eating that thing. Uh, right. Maybe if I eat around it, I could sort of. And then the more you do that, you're like, wow, there's way more razor blades in this than I thought. <laughs> well, to continue with that metaphor, like one, it's a risk. I mean, maybe maybe <laughs> if, if you're feeling incredibly just a like for it you could eat around the razor razor blades but best of all it's best to keep that oh far away from the rest of your food as possible <laughs> just far far away yeah from your food. <laughs> and hope it only sticks around for like maybe one or two years yeah and then retires off into the again pasture or okay. again yeah well that's you know i mean i think there's enough there to make a pretty good uh, a pretty good thanksgiving meal I think so too. I I mean, I'm not hungry, uh, just mainly because I probably (laughs) ate enough food yesterday for the the entire week, but, uh, yeah, I'm ready for, ready for some Turkey metaphor. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, right. That being said, uh, this has been another fun filled episode of the Northside Sox podcast. We hope you really liked our pie in the sky trade proposals. We hope you liked our comparisons of relievers to pie. Uh, frankly, because I like pie. I don't know about you, Sam. Do you like pie? <laughs> I do like pie. I like apple pie specifically. Awesome. My, my favorite go-to. pie is lemon. Um, lemon meringue is my favorite pie. Lemon meringue is a delicious pie too. Indeed. Indeed. Just classic, easy to make, just so good. Anyway, thank you for listening as always. And thanks for making it this far. Sam, you got any closing words? You know what? Just rest up. Uh, this is just to everybody. Rest up and you know enjoy that food in your belly if you're if you're fortunate enough to have to be full uh, today. Um, and uh, hopefully the White Sox make some wheeling and dealing over the next couple of weeks. And the next time you hear from us, we'll be talking about a taller, even more handsome uh, starting rotation. Very well said, Sam. Right. Signing off. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>